Good morning, church. It's, uh, it's good to be with you today. My name is uh, Brandon Gilliam, and I am the Teaching and Discipleship Associate here at ECC, and a new member, and full disclosure, I'm also a, a bit of a crier, too. So if, it, if the tears start welling up, I, I feel you. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. So just saying. Um, I am, I'm really excited about this message. I'm really excited about this series for a couple of reasons. One, because when we put that... Uh, when we asked all of you what you wanted to hear about, it was this. This was the number one thing you wanted to hear about. And uh, that's exciting to me because I think that I, I know that God has been speaking already, and I'm excited to see what God is continuing to say to us today. So, uh, so let's, let's dive in. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about hope today. Um, but if you're going to talk about hope, you kind of also have to talk about fear a little bit. So to talk about that, I want to tell a story. When I was, the, the year was 1999, the smell of apocalypse was in the air because of Y2K, you know, looming over everyone's head. I was 10 years old, and one night, my family and I went to Bible study. Now, I loved Bible study because my parents got to hang out with their friends, and that was great, and I got to go play cops and robbers in my, parent, in my friend's parents' huge bedroom, like this massive bedroom with a bathroom attached to it. It was like endless possibilities of fun. So I loved small group. Uh, but one day, one night, instead of playing cops and robbers, they gathered us into the family room and they sat us all down and they said, hey, we're going to watch a movie. And the kids were like, sweet. Like, yes, we used to watch a movie and stay up past our bedtime. This is awesome. Um, so we sat down and the movie started and there was just kind of a black screen and there was like this ominous music started playing. And all of a sudden I hear this voice and it's a voice that I now know to be Kirk Cameron's voice. And then all of a sudden, faded into view, the title of the movie, Left Behind. And for the next hour and a half, I watched the scariest movie I had ever seen. <laughs> and when that movie ended, my paranoia of the end times and me personally being left behind began. It was just like, this is going to happen. And I started being really afraid. I remember at my grandmother's house, my grandmother had this awesome tree in her front yard. It's huge. And I would go out there and, and play for hours. I'd climb this tree and I'd play lookout. Sometimes I was a pirate. Sometimes I was a cop who climbed trees and looked out for things. Um, so I was doing that one day and it was really great. And, and I come home or I come back inside and I walk into the foyer of my grandmother's house and her, her name is Mama Barb is what I called her. And I said, Mama Barb, no response. So immediately I'm like, I'm fine. Like everything's okay. I'm not afraid, you know, whatever. So I'm like, I'll just call again. She probably didn't hear me. Mama Barb? Nothing. Silence. I'm like, okay. I'm a little bit afraid now, but you know, I trust that she's like in the bathroom washing her hands and it's just too, too loud. So one more time, Mama Barb? Mama? No response. And it was at that moment that I knew that I had been left behind, that the apocalypse had happened, and that I was doomed. It was just, I, it happened. And I, there, you could not have convinced me otherwise. It had happened. And so I grew up with that kind of mentality of the end times, and it really frightened me. And some of you might be able to relate with that, especially if you grew up in the church. But I think we can all relate to some kind of connection to the end of the world. Uh, I remember when the movie 2012 came out. I was working at McDonald's, and I had a coworker who who's an atheist, and she sat down with me one day. She's like, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the end of the world. Can you talk to me about this. And, you know, I was still kind of dealing with being left behind and stuff. So I was just like, let's try to work this out together. Um, 
But I think we can all kind of connect to it. We kind of know that something is out there, but it kind of freaks us out. Or for, for, for a lot of us, maybe is confusing, which is why I'm so excited about this sermon series, because it is our prerogative here, and uh, Pastor Chris led the way last week, that we are looking into Scripture. What does God's Word have to say? We are using it essentially as a compass to see what God did say about the end times and what we can understand about it for our life today. So last week, uh, Pastor Chris did an excellent job of leading us through what Jesus had to say. I, I love that he, he literally was like, we're actually just going to see what Jesus has to say. I still think that the public reading of Scripture is one of the most powerful ways to encounter God. Uh, that's not old. That's not cliche. It's not too far away. I mean, it is still powerful and good, and I loved that we did that last week. Um, this week, we're going to be looking into what Paul had to say about the end times. Um, and Paul is responsible for a lot of things. Uh, he was a first century Jew turned Christian and is responsible for writing most of the New Testament. Most of his um, writings come in the form of letters to churches that he either planted or had a connection with in the ancient Near East. Um, Paul was used by God, along with many other Christ followers, to help build and sustain the church in its infancy. And it was a harsh infancy. It was not an easy time when the church began. It was, it was rough times. And Paul was at the epicenter, like the very front lines of it being really, really difficult. Um, and I kind of want to get into that a little bit today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul is telling, almost bragging a little bit about what he had gone through for the sake of the gospel at the beginning of the church. And this is what he has to say. He says, are they servants of Christ? Well, I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. One, one night and a day I was adrift at sea. By the way, worst nightmare ever, that being adrift at sea, terrified of that. He did it. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? It's amazing to me that Paul, a person who suffered a lot, is, is a symbol for the early church and is a symbol for us today of great hope. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't do this self-deprecating thing on purpose just to say, oh, poor me, poor me. He says, I'm doing this because the gospel is actually worth it. And it's that good that I would endure these things. And so, you see, for Paul, hope was at the center of everything, including his understanding of the end times. Hope was not devoid of Paul's understanding of the end times and how he wrote about the end times. You see, Paul saw Jesus as the fulfillment and embodiment of God's redemptive plan for the world. Jesus opened the reality of God's kingdom on the earth and provided a way for us to be made new. And so our prayer today, my prayer has been for this message that 
that God would reveal to us the same kind of hope that he revealed to Paul about the end times. That, that, we, that we would maybe begin the journey of letting go of the fear connected to the end times and embrace the hope that's available for us in Scripture about the end times. So there are, are plenty of places in the letters of Paul where he mentions and talks about the end times. Today we're going to focus in on two of those. Uh, the first is in Ephesians. And, and this teaching centers around the idea that Paul uses elsewhere in his writings to explain how the coming of Jesus has impacted the course of the end times. And the second is in 1 Corinthians. Um, and, and this teaching teaches us how, how to trust in God in the midst of the real mystery of the end times with an assurance in, the God, in God's ultimate victory. So if you're taking notes today, I would encourage you to write this down. Paul in Ephesians 1 divides the end times into two ages, which I'll explain in just a moment. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul trusts God to bring about the ultimate victory of the end times in his time. So this is our thesis statement. This is where we're going today. So let's, let's jump right into you, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. If, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to take them out. If you don't have a Bible at home, we have some free for you. There's, there's some over here and there's some in the back as well. So uh, feel free to grab one. It is our gift to you. So Ephesians chapter 1, um, to kind of set this up a little bit, at the beginning of chapter 1 in Ephesians, Paul is praising the church in Ephesus for their perseverance of Jesus and their zeal for the gospel. So like I said earlier, this is, this is not an easy time for the church. So when a church was doing well, when the church was, was receiving persecution but, but continuing on, Paul was like, yeah, good job, like keep going, don't give up. This is really hard, and I get that it's hard, but it's worth it, and it's good, and it's eternally good. So at the beginning of Ephesians, Paul is saying that. He's saying, way to go. I'm proud of you. I pray for you continually. Don't stop believing. You can hear the Journey song playing in your head now, right? Um, so that's where he starts. The, in, so the first 14 verses, that's all, it's all about encouraging and loving on this resilient church. Then Paul's thanksgiving continues into verse 15, and his loving um, uh, sorry, and his thanksgiving transitions into a prayerful teaching on the hope we have in God, which is where we pick up our text today. So cha- chapter 1, verse 15, um, start right there. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those of us who believe. According to his working of his, of the, of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Remember that phrase. And he and God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So let me begin by saying that this um, is, if not the greatest, one of the greatest run-on sentences ever written. I mean, Paul loved commas, honestly. I mean, it was like he was so good that he just like, I can't put a period there. I just got to keep going. And it's, it's, 
one sentence in Greek, one sentence, I mean, it's just, it's Paul. The English teachers in here are going nuts right now. Um, so, but there's a lot going on in, in these few verses. A ton is going on here. But first of all, the first thing I want to point out is he begins by saying, Paul begins by saying, that this is a prayer. And I, and I don't want us to jump too quickly away from that. We sometimes tend to think of Scripture as a, as a list of rules or a list of do's and don'ts. And there are absolutely, certainly rules in Scripture that, that we should absorb and enjoy and love, and, and they help us guide our lives. But Scripture is rich, and it is prayerful. I mean, the, the kind of prayer that Paul was praying is not so dissimilar to the kind of prayer that Pastor Chris prays for us on a regular basis. This is a pastor's heart for people and faces and names that he actually knew. And God said, yes, that is good, and I will, make, I will multiply that for generations and generations to make it relevant for all people of all nations, all tongues. And so it's a personal thing that Paul's doing. This is a hopeful expectation for the Ephesian church, this prayerful teaching. In verse 16, Paul says that he is praying this over the church in hope that they might have the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that they may know what is the hope to which God has called them. Paul is praying with hope that this church might have the eyes of their hearts fully open to the great hope that God has, has called them into and is currently calling them into. It's, it's a process. It's, he calls at one point and he continues on. And I'll explain that in a moment too. So this hope that I'm talking about has to do directly with the working of God's great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, as Paul writes. So Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, is teaching the Ephesian church and us today that we are being called into a great hope, great and powerful hope, a hope that is founded on the solid ground, which, God's work of ra- which is God's work of raising Jesus from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So at this point, you might be asking, like, yep, that sounds good. Like, I like that. Resurrection talk, that sounds good. But we're talking about the end times. So where's the connection? How do we connect this to the end times? Well, I think the answer to that question is found in verse 22, the the part, the bit where I told you to remember. Paul says that after Jesus has been raised from the dead by the power of God and God has seated Jesus in the heavenly places, he has also been set far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. You see, for Paul, salvation history after Jesus has come was split into two ages, this age and the age to come. And quickly, what that, what that means over the course of his letters is this age is the age where, where Christ has come and we, are, we have the opportunity to be made new, but not all things are quite right just yet. There is a day, as Pastor Chris taught last week, there is a day that is coming when all things will be right. And we're not there yet, but we are in an age of opportunity to experience Christ in our day-to-day life. So those are the two ages that Paul is kind of talking about here in Ephesians. So to kind of further explain this, let me me quick tell a story. Um, I've never really been a big fan of the future. In the same way, I've never really been a big fan of tornadoes. Yeah, I don't like the future, and I don't like tornadoes for a lot of the same reasons. Both are big and ominous and almost impossible to predict, and they're both imminent. 
the future tomorrow is going to happen whether I like it or not. And stuff is going to happen in tomorrow's future that I don't quite know what it's going to look like, but it's just going to happen. And tornadoes are going to happen. We live in Minnesota. I grew up in Ohio, you know, Tornado Valley. Like, tornadoes are going to happen, and I have absolutely no control over it. And that's exactly why they kind of freak me out, because I, I literally have no control over when a funnel cloud will form and a tornado will happen or what will happen in tomorrow. But I can say that I don't live in fear of these things. And the reason I can say that is, well, is this story. When I was eight years old, a tornado actually passed over my house. Um, I remember it very, very vividly. Uh, I was, so I was eight years old. Um, the, the sirens started going off. The skies grew dark. And my mom gathered my sister and I in our bathroom in our one-level suburban house put us in the tub, put a mattress over us, and, and said, you know, hold this. And it was the most afraid I had ever been, mostly because it was the first time that I saw my mom really, really afraid. Wow. And Yeah, I know. And when you're a kid, and, and mom is like the, the symbol of consistency and care and love, and she's freaked out, you're really scared. And that was me as an eight-year-old kid, because I saw mom afraid. But we, we waited there for what felt like an eternity, as the winds beat against our house, and I could hear the rain just like a torrent on our roof. But we were there for about an hour and a half, and then suddenly, slowly, the storm passed. There was actually a tornado that literally, it seemed like it jumped right over our house. It was very close. I, tell me about it, Rick, I know. But I lived. I, I made it through. My mom made it through, right? And I'll never forget that day. It stands as a moment in my life when I thought that I actually might die, but I didn't. And I now know that I was as safe as I possibly could have been because of the protective measures of my mom. Because of what she did and how she reacted in that moment, I know now that that is the safest way to ride out a tornado in a one-level suburban house. This was a moment in my past that now holds a great amount of significance for how I behave toward the future. Now when the sirens go off and the skies go dark, I'm not as afraid as I once was because I live in the hope of living through it. In the same way as I can say that I can have hope in the face of a tornado, even though they still scare me a little bit, not going to lie, we can have hope in the end times, because of the saving work of God raising Jesus from the dead. So when Paul says in verse 22 that since Jesus has been raised from the dead, he has, he has been set far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, Paul is teaching us that we can have hope in the face of the end times, currently in the end times. When not all things are made quite right yet, but we know we have hope that they will someday be because we look back to the resurrection and say, that happened. And we gain hope from that and we move forward toward the future. So if, if you're writing notes today, I would encourage you to write this down. The hope we have in the end times is that Jesus has already won. And we live in that victory now and into the future. Jesus already did that. The victory has been won. The protective measures of our protective Savior has won. And now we move forward into the future, remembering the promise that he will return and make things right. All things right. 
So now let's jump to 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, 19, Paul says this, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. That is a powerful statement. I mean, if, if we really kind of dwell on that, it's, it, that's a powerful statement. If we have hope in this life only because of Christ, we're missing something huge connected to what Jesus did. P- Paul says, we're of most people to be pitied. So if we only think that the significance of Christ in his life, death, and resurrection has something to do with this and now, we, we miss something because, we're, because time is moving toward a day when all things will be made right. And there's something beyond us, beyond that day for us. Paul is drawing a line of connection from the historical event of Jesus' resurrection and the effects that it has on our future hope. Paul goes on from this point to say, and, and let me just say, if you have time, read 1 Corinthians 15. It is one of the most beautiful rhetorics of Paul's literature. It is the exclamation point at the end of 1 Corinthians. It's so powerful. At the end of 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 50, Paul goes on to say this about concerning the end times specifically. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In this passage, in these few verses, we see Paul acknowledging first that the end times are a mystery. In this sermon series, we are not going to answer every question because we don't have the answer to every question. If God wanted to, he could have written it down, but he didn't do it that way. He left a little bit of room for us to say, will you trust me? Will you know me? Will you believe in me? Will you look back at the resurrection and believe that I'll do it again all over the world for the end of time? It's a mystery. The culmination of God's plan is not perfectly laid before us, but we're not forgotten either. God does say certain things, right? And in the passage that we just read, Paul helps us see that, that when the end comes, we will be changed as Jesus was changed. We will be raised as Jesus was raised. In other words, the resurrection of Christ is the destiny of those who put their faith in Jesus. Death will be swallowed up in victory. The one enemy that we cannot beat, death, has already been beaten. So as, as we kind of conclude today, I, I want to emphasize the hope that, we, that can be found in the end times. Because I think Paul does that. Paul is such an excellent help for us in learning how to, and if you're writing notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. For the believer in Jesus, the end times is not something to fear, but a sign of our future hope. The end times is not 
the end in and of itself, but it is a symbol for what is coming. Paul helps us see Jesus standing as a shining, glimmering example of our hope in the end times because of his victory over death. This hope is open to all, all, to every person who puts their faith and hope in Christ. So I want to open this up today. If you have not yet made a decision to follow Christ and to put your hope in him, we would love and be honored to walk with you in that decision. There will be people in the back who would love to pray for you and begin that transition for you. And and I would be happy to walk with you, and Pastor Chris and, and staff would be happy to walk with you in that. Also, if you are here today and perhaps lacking hope in many areas, perhaps you're following Jesus, but you, you're missing hope a little bit, I would encourage you to find someone you trust today and to pray the same prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesian church, that you would know what is the hope which God has called you into and is calling you into. Pray that with someone today, someone you trust, someone you care about, and someone that cares about you. One of the most powerful practices of following Jesus is the daily remembering of all that he has done for us. That's why we pray. That's why we read scripture. Not to check off something, but to be transformed by something. To remind ourselves of the resurrection power of Jesus and our future hope. And so, if you wouldn't mind, I would just, I would encourage, I'd like you to stand if you're able, um, and I'd like to quick pray for us and, and, and read just a short benediction over us before we go today. So therefore, may we hold fast to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus and point to it as an example of the life given to all God's people now and in the age to come. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would inspire our hearts to hope, that fear would not be the final word for us, but that we would be a community of hope, that we would, not, that we would recognize that although we live in the end times, we live in the hope in, of the future, that you will come and set things right, and we hold so fastly to that because of your resurrection that actually happened. So God, encourage us and inspire us. And Holy Spirit, I pray now that you, would, that you would bless the hearts and the minds in this room and that you would open their eyes to the hope that they have been called to in Jesus' name. So God, may, may you bless this, these people in this congregation in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.